0: we're back difference maker podcast matt and chris calderoni excited to be back at it keep uh kind of keep spreading the love on the topics we were just talking about the other day a shout out to a gents talk podcast i got to be on which was awesome two really really good hosts samir and matt and um they're doing some good stuff over there like you guys should check it out too when you get a chance i think we come out in the late may episode for one year tuning in but of 2023 um, we talked everything about resilience, everything about high performance, the short-term thinking. It was really, really cool. So nice, good episode. Yeah, really good episode. Nice. In the sports world, we're approaching playoffs. Very interesting time, for, at least for basketball, for hockey, and um, you know, football. They're coming back into their preseasons in April, so it's going to be an interesting time, an interesting couple, you know, weeks going forwards, which will be fun. Which is why we wanted to get in on this topic today about. You know a safe environment and how to actually cultivate a winning environment because i feel like a lot of times we call this the tip of the iceberg conundrum when it comes to like athlete mental health or high performance or whatever athletes really are a product of the environment that they're in right right and it's like i think we often forget this when it comes to high performers mm-hmm. where it's of, of any kind even not just athletes but also organizations and you know leadership and so on but it's like it really Like your performers, your people, your athletes, your clients, whomever, they really are a product of the environment that you cultivate and create. And it's like we know that the brain likes safety. We know that the brain appreciates being able to try new things and be creative. But often the problem that we see is these, there, there's so many different factors that go into. For example, we were just talking about it before we got on, which is like the coach who lacks a little bit of self-esteem or job security. They feel the pressure from the owners or whoever it might be. They feel as though that they need to be the one who's like, you know, doing everything and and getting the results and then all of a sudden they start putting pressure on their players and that makes the player feel like crap and blah, 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 right? There's that conundrum. On a pro side, we've noticed a big one we see is, especially with this, the significant others that are, you know, in the person's life, right? And it's like, you see an athlete who's making a lot of money, unfortunately this is what happens because we've coached people through it but oftentimes you see this individual who gets casted aside a little bit right and although yes there's a life of riches and so on i understand that but a life without purpose is one that's really really tough to live
1: well i was gonna say some of the stuff that we even spoke about last week on the last episode of of our podcast was uh i think we touched on um athletes that come in with a purpose and then athletes that rely on the environment to give them that purpose. Right. Right? Like if you have that organization or or that team that you're able to feed off of then great. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, how do you create that own purpose for yourself?
0: Yeah. And I think that's important too where a lot of people also assume this wrong and this comes right into coaches. Like we say this all the time to coaches. If you want to get the most out of your players or if you're an organizational leader and you want to get the most out of your people, like really understand why they're there and then show them that they can accomplish that through your team. Right? It's a, it's a very simple concept, but it's like there's a couple there's a couple mechanisms that I think are going on that a lot of people forget, especially in a leadership role or like a coaching role, and it's that high performers want safety. Now I'm not saying like I was speaking a little bit about this the other day too. I'm not saying you become a pushover. That's not what safety is, right? Safety means that you know you can go out there and try new things and you're going to make mistakes. But you're not going to get absolutely ridiculed for that mistake.
1: Yeah. Well, safety to me, anyways, it should you you sh- it should be an environment that challenges you. Yep. Where, um, where you can, you know, make those mistakes, feel comfortable making those mistakes and pushing past it. Like, mm-hmm. if for for any coach or like you said, in someone in an organization, would you not want your team to? be able to grow underneath you. Yeah. Instead of just going after the target and accomplishing the result, which is great. But you know, it that can that can kind of make you blind to some of the issues that are at hand.
0: Well let's let's even not to interject but touch on that for a sec though. Like I don't I this is what sometimes blows my mind. And it's I'm not I'm not taking a shot at coaches because I get it too they, they don't often have this kind of formal training on this stuff, right? It's unless they want to go in above and beyond and find out what that is for them themselves, right? So you look at it and it's like, okay, so what you just said, it's like sometimes the result pushes aside. But if you actually get people to be at their best, what do you think going to happen? Do you think they're going to perform like crap? Mm-hmm. They're going to perform very well. Right. So it's like, how do we add those factors in? It's basically saying this is the end result. This is our system we're playing in. But I'm, I'm, I'm expecting you within that system we're playing in to figure it out your way. Play this system your way. You can do that. Right. It's like when we coach coaches, it's like we have the Moliteum way of doing things. But your own personal flavor of coaching is your flavor. Mm-hmm. It's what you need to do. And like, as long as you're following the protocol, but you're doing it your way, Like, two people can get to the the same end result, but just in different fashions. Right. Right? And it's like, I think this is where sometimes in the high-performance world we get it wrong because when it comes to safety, it's like, like, let's talk about a real issue for a sec. Like I was saying before, coaches really fear for their job. And I've seen this even right down to the youth level of sports. So it's not just a money-back thing. It's It's a cultural, like, you know,
1: Well, coach is always the easiest thing. to replace they as are. opposed to an entire team of athletes. Well, right? I
0: was actually talking about this the other day on the podcast. And it's like, this is what was very interesting that I started to notice. So for anybody following along, explosive interview this past week with Antonio Conte and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, Hotsports, that was wild. Right? Explosive interview where like you saw last Saturday or Sunday when the game was done. I think they, they ended up tying 3-3. They were up 3-0, I believe, or 3-1 or something like that. Oh, okay. And they end up tying. I just saw the interview. I didn't see it. Yeah, no, no, no. So they end, this is what pissed them off. They end up tying, right? And he gets on this interview. He gets in his post-game press conference, and he starts lambasting the team, right? But here's the thing. So like, if you go watch the interviews, what's coming out of his mouth is true. And you can see, like, all he's asking his players to do is play with passion. That's what he's saying. He's basically ripping him in the interview, saying, there's no passion going on. We've tried different things. Now, some people will knock him and be like, well, the system he plays is a certain way, and he's very meticulous. And it's like, but he's right. Like, he called out real things. He's like, you guys had Jose Mourinho here as a coach. Failed under him. Mauricio uh, Pochettino, you failed under him. You're failing under me. Went to your point. When is it going to be about the players and not the coach? right and i'm not i'm not dumping on players or coaches my point is is like all of this plays in together right and when you saw, when you look at that interview you know exactly what i'm talking about i guarantee you there's a man there who's stressed about keeping his job and his reputation he probably didn't make training as enjoyable as he could for his people for his players just because he's under the gun it probably to to your point before became all about winning only instead of here's how we're going to win with creativity and as a result you have players who feel like they're stuck in this cardboard system and they don't feel fun they don't they don't feel that experience and it's like that's what we're talking about when it comes to safety is cultivating an environment where people feel and you can let people be at their best for for how they want to do things
1: yeah so i think cultivating an an environment is not just on the coach but the organizational heads as a whole
0: starts at the top
1: like like you can put all the where everyone always likes to put blame on on one thing, whether it be a group of players, one player, the coach, the staff, anything right? Every, no one wants to legitimately take responsibility for the thing, and then when somebody calls it out, then it's how dare? Mm. you know. So fostering that environment to me anyways, that comes from legitimately the top. How do you want your coach to to handle the situations like how you um, exemplify dealing with mistakes will go all the way down from from the business side of of sport down to the developmental side of sport well, to me anyways that's what Let's talk about does.
0: that for a sec though cuz that's important like how you deal with a mistake so let's pretend you're right everything starts from the top right if you have an owner Who's in a spot, and this is this is what's funny I've noticed about the ownership side of things too, or like the high-end exec side. You can't fake this. Okay. So like I've seen I've seen and we see real-world examples of this at the pro level, where owners say one thing and do the opposite. That's faking it. Right? Like you can say, like, we're all about the players, but if all of a sudden you're very quick to fire and you're not letting somebody implement a plan or whatever it might be. And then there's a pattern of that, hence in the case of Tottenham Hotspurs, with the exception of Pochettino. My point is, you're going to see that, you're going to lose that trust. Right. You are. Mm -hmm. So you can't say one thing and do the other. That's just basic human behavior. But yeah, it starts from the top. It starts from having somebody who understands, okay, let's look at this hierarchy for a second. The owners have to find the right managers who are going to then like in North American world, the right general managers, who's going to find the right kind of head coach, who's going to find the right kind of system he needs to play or she needs to play. Who's going to then go off on one side and then on the other side, find the right players that they're going to have. Right. The coach also has to find a staff that also gets along. Now, if the owner does it right and they have values that they stand by, they should be passing those values down to the manager. The manager should be passing those values down to the coach. The coach should be passing those values down to their staff their staff and the coach should be passing those values down to their players. That's how you cultivate safety. It is a big undertaking. If you have an owner who doesn't preach this and doesn't have that mentality, and you have a coach who does, it's only going to be so long before the coach starts worrying about their job.
1: See, and and that's where, so where the owner starts to worry about their job. Because yes, they own the team. They can sell it at any mm-hmm. time, whatever the case may
0: be. They can fire at any time. But
1: that's where I think the fear comes in. For from the owner's side, so okay, we take a look at okay, the owner's putting pressure on the coach to win. Why do we need that winning? Because we need the money. Mm-hmm to go to the next level and the next level so the money is putting the pressure on the owner and the owner is getting pressure from yeah the money and whoever owns stocks in the club or whatever just, the case may be and then it trickles down And just right? to
0: say though but that's even a real thing so like people tuning in might be like well that's just at the pro level that's at the youth level too no oh, 100 right what happens if you have a winning organization well winning organization
1: level? i think even there was um there was some article i think that recently came out against not against uh, about the OJHL I think mm-hmm. and they were talking Ontario the, Junior Hockey League yeah, for anybody. On, Ontario Junior Hockey League and it was something along the lines of I didn't read the article but the gist of what some people's comment commentary on it was um it was that the OJHL was uh, child labor unpaid child labor or something like that. Hmm. But I did, again, that was the title of it. If you go into it, when I believe someone broke it down, there it's saying, okay, if the organization has players that get drafted, I believe, there's a kickback from, from the team down,
0: right? Also, at junior hockey levels in Ontario, right. if you are a AAA organization and you get players drafted, I believe there's a kickback that comes to the club as well. Yes, right. so that's to, where- With, sorry, one thing to say. But that in mind, they're trying to promote the development of players. That's what they were trying to do originally. Yeah. Okay, go on.
1: Yeah, and that's where, again, the pressure comes down and gives that those coaches from the owner, from the organization, you got to win, you got to push, you got to do this. They're just necessarily sometimes, sometimes, not all, but sometimes, coaches going to find the best players of that age because they know it's such a tight mm-hmm. timeline. I don't have time to develop these kids over two or three years. Yeah. I don't have that. I have this what I have to do. This what I have to meet by this deadline. I'm just going to go out and find the player to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, some guys or some guys and girls, coaches, they can handle that pressure. Others
0: can't. But you know what kills me about that, though? Like this is where I think things are really broken. And this is why we keep saying like the safety starts from the top. Right. So let's pretend I own a team and let's pretend I know so uh, let's, let's play this in different scenarios. Let's pretend I, I own a youth organization for sports, okay? I'm a soccer owner, let's say. And I know the end goal to attract them. I, I need to attract the most kids. Let's talk realistic financials, black and white for a second. More kids at your club, more money you make. Fair enough? Agree on that topic? Yep. Okay, yep. good. So you have enough players that are coming into your club now. How do you attract them? That's really what we're doing here. Right. Well, if I want to attract the most players to my club, here's what I'm going to do. First off, I'm going to try and find the best coaches mm-hmm. in their own specialty. If I'm an owner, if I'm an owner, I would do this the right way. I would find the best strength and conditioning group that I could possibly find at you know a rate that I need in the area and I would have them partner with the club. I would do the same for mental, I would do the same for nutrition, I would do the same for all those things. And it's like, Matt, that's very expensive, hold on. Okay, now I have something to promote. We've got the best support staff in Pickering, okay? Then I go out and now this becomes my recruiting tool. Hey, Bob from down the road and Sarah from down the street, this is the support staff you're gonna have if you come to my club. This is what you're going to have. And on top of that, we've got some marketing we're doing. You're going to be able to bring some players. And the best part is we are strictly focused on development here. Oh, no way, Matt. Great. So Bob goes and tells his friends and Sarah tells her friends. And all of a sudden now, you've got different coaches that could potentially want to be this. At the end of the day, though, my one goal as an owner of a youth club is development. I want to build the best developmental hub possible for kids to come to. If you do that, your marketing, A, takes care of itself. Your success, B, takes care of itself. And your coaches are happy. Your staff's happy. You're giving them resource, right? What do we often see, though, at the youth level? Well, usually what happens is there's a set budget and we work within the budget. And I'm not, I'm not trying to chop at any owners, but my point is I think you need to switch the mindset sometimes. It's like people, the way that I know it goes right now is from a reaching out to clubs and having combos with them before mm-hmm. and also seeing, you know, our friends that we have, who are doing it the right way, not just cause they're our friends, but because we've had in depth conversations about this, it's not, let's look at the budget and see what we have room for this year. I understand when there's crunches, but the good owners are looking at it saying instead of the budget, what does my club need and how do I find a way to either raise that money, invest that money or somehow in some way come up with that money. Now, it might be a three-year plan, but they do it. And they build, and they build, and they build. But if there's something I'm noticing these people are doing, it's development. So that right there, it's like, you have that network, you have that safety, you have an owner who wants to develop kids. Okay, safety's installed. That's one situation taken care of, okay? Let's go to the second situation. A um, junior sports club. Okay. So junior sports club, let's say is right before you get to the NCAA level, same thing with the owners. I'm looking at it the exact same way. If I'm a junior sports club, yes, I want my organization to win. However, the money I'm making comes from the fans who are coming to watch my players. And I need to attract the best players and grow the best players. So I can have people who want to come watch the best players before they go pro. How do I do that? Well, same thing. You can go back to the development side, right? Put the best developmental people in place. I understand you're running a business and you need to fill seats. But the truth is, at the end of the day, this is all a marketing game for these guys, right? And gals. Now, if you want to market, you need a product to be able to market. And the only way to attract that product is to show you have some of the best resources possible to help these kids. Hmm. That's the mindset, right? Now, let's go to the pro level. This is a bit of a different animal. But the truth is, Here's what we see on our side that a lot of owners don't see. You are now taking on people who come from various different backgrounds who have potentially played the sport at the pro level for a bit, who have some baggage they're dealing with, who have families, who have different things going on in their life. But often what I see owners do is not take that into consideration. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, why don't my players feel good here? It's like, well, you haven't looked at the reality of their situations, and then all of a sudden now you have owners who try to push their own personal agenda instead of go the right way. I look at this. The best thing was the St. Louis blues when they won the cup a couple of years ago, I think 2018, 2019, we got to witness it firsthand with one of the clients we had on the team. The big change when the new head coach came in was that leadership, that safety started from the top. Mm. Right. And we actually saw the reverse effect where head coach was able to come in. He brought his staff closer. He brought his people together. He was, a, he's, I'll never forget how our player was telling us. He goes, Matt day one, he came in for the first time in a while. All the coaches were eating lunch together and breakfast. He's like, then week two players started to come to the table. Week three, we started gathering at breakfast, staying there for so long. We would then have lunch after practice and we couldn't wait to be together. They went on a 15 game heater and they won the Stanley cup from being dead last in the league at Christmas time. I believe quote me on it. Right. But my point is, is like that's a top-down approach. And if you want to create this safety and cultivate the safety, you need to have values that you understand your players will only be producing the results they want if they feel taken care of.
1: See, that's where I I think of these the top leagues that have the junior leagues, right? So like NHL, it trickles all the way down to like AAA A teams around North America, even. Right. right. And you think about it and it's like, okay, you want to be able to have this standard to make at the end of the day, the NHL, like all these younger teams, these are potential employees of the NHL one day. Right. Right. So why not instill like almost a training program for these owners, for these yeah. for these guys that because everything that this player goes through from age... When you get into hockey six, mm-hmm. maybe if youngest, but from that age, all the way up until a professional level or even a school level, like your hands are on that. yeah, you're the reason for them having that dream. You're the reason for a lot of things, which is which is fantastic. and I know it's a lot of work and it's a lot of moving pieces and money comes into play and, and all that stuff. but yeah. like to be able to give that training. Or not even training, but that example from an ownership level at that level, someone that does it really well, I think that would potentially go a long way and even help some of these owners that maybe they don't necessarily have True. an but, individual purpose. But, right? this
0: is, but this is why, too, it kills me when people are like, so-and-so is going to take this organization to the top. They're a business leader. It's like, okay, but to be a real good business leader, it's not numbers. It's people. It's how numbers are, are, are a resultant of your people. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's all it is. It's like your people are the one we were just talking about it this morning in our meeting. It's like Chris and I were breaking it down. So we're taking on coaches, right? And we're hiring new coaches. Anybody that wants to put their application in by all means careers at Moliteum.com, put your application in. (laughs) But my point is this. We were asking each other, we're like, so what really makes our, pro- our, our program special and what's our product here and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's really not the coaching. It's not our method of coaching. People have this similar method. It's the coaches. Our coaches are our product. So instead of me spending 12 weeks to meticulously put the coaching side together, which we have, I've been spending the last five and a half weeks to date so far focusing on how we can make our people the best we have personal um health plans for each of our coach because we realize that's a big thing to make sure our coach is feeling at their best we have personal development plans for each of our coach that happen on a monthly and quarterly basis just like the health plan we have um an experience plan is what we call it where we want our coaches to take experience experiences and adventures on a on a quarterly basis And on a weekly basis, they need to step away. And guess what? We're going to pay them for those quarterly vacations. Why? Because we need our people to be at their best. I don't need them burnt out. I don't need them overworked. I don't need them feeling mundane. I don't need them feeling like they're just coming into the office. I need them coming in and feeling like mother effing rock stars. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to put more on your people. And here's the crazy part. If I go develop, if we go develop... 50 of the best coaches on the planet, what do you think that's going to do to a business? Mm -hmm. Now, I could put all my time into just marketing and sales and an average product and what most people say, put a 4 star product out and you'll grow a business better than a five-star. That's That's just,
1: to me, that's a band-aid on things. That is. That's a band-aid on things. Because you're
0: going to have to spend more money on marketing and sales to bring new clients in when you piss off the other ones. Yeah. Just like these sports teams are. What have I seen youth sports teams doing lately? You know what I've seen? This kills me. I've seen (laughs) on Instagram and bullshit like that, on TikToks and all this crap, all they're doing is promoting now certain tournaments that they have going on and what they're going to and so on. And that's good. You know what I've yet to see though? I've yet to see one youth club come out and be like, here's a snapshot of our weekly periodization of strength and conditioning for a specific player that we went and brought in a strength coach for. If I have a kid and I want to see an organization do it the right way, and I want to bring my kid to a good organization, if they're showing stuff like that in their marketing, you're attracting me. You're attracting me. If I see you promoting sessions about how the nutritionist came in and decided to do a one-on-one sit-down with every player in your club that you paid them for at the start of the year, and there's a small fee they they pay, and like let's say, I don't know, 100 bucks for your consultation, and he or she comes up with a plan for you and this and this and this. And I see them putting in that time F man, I'm going to bring my kid to that club and don't tell me it's not doable because we do it on our side. Don't tell me it's not doable. It's beyond doable. You know what's happening though? Greedy owners. Owners want to put more money in their pocket than they want to put into their people and people who have a very backwards mindset on how to properly bring in and develop the best in their class.
1: That's why I'm saying like organizations at the top that to me should have their hand all the way in, uh, from development to, to career path. Like, like i I'm just using the NHL as an example right now, because right now to be able to try to watch an NHL game, man, it is shit. like, Here, it's fine. In Mm -hmm. Canada, it's fine. But, like, you need three or four different apps streaming things to to watch it. Why are you making it so difficult? Now, um, that is what it is. But, like to combat that, to make it more enjoyable for the people. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to grow their game. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to put just a Band-Aid on it and let's promote it in Asia and Europe and all this other stuff. You wanna grow your game, make it enjoyable from the youth to professional level. And it's not like, obviously there's money involved, and teams in that city they go out and they do their stuff like the players go out and reach out to the community and all that stuff which is fantastic but i mean for the teams that maybe aren't in the city maybe they aren't close to those teams or anything like that that don't necessarily get that have some sort of just small training Mm -hmm. for those guys to see like hey they give a shit like it's not just a burnout and that's it for these players it's well, there's man, a there's something there for them. I, these, that's what I would do.
0: But even these programs that I hear a lot of people talking about, like life after sport programs, and I'm not just talking you. Like, let's look at all the levels. Pro levels, in my opinion, poor job done. Very poor job done. We're the guys that get called about it, right? Junior hockey levels or junior sports levels. Poor job done. All the time I see this stuff being talked about. Like, okay, we're gonna we have this transitional period to help a player out. It's like, look. To your point, if you're taking a, a kid on and you're going to be in charge of their life for four years, essentially, or three years or two years, even, you need to have from onboarding to offboarding how you do it. Like that, to me, it's very... I don't think people understand sometimes, or maybe we do and we just like to turn a blind eye to it. I don't think people really can grasp the entirety of... Of how challenging it is for an athlete to finish their, like, junior career or developmental career and not go on to the next level. Yeah. Like, A, I was one of them, but I was a little different where I took my own things on. But B, we see players going through this all the time, and it's like, it's a very, very tough time for the athlete. I don't care what anybody says. And it's like, unless you have parents that are so well equipped for that, teams should be taking on the responsibility of how to transition their players out of sport. You've just dealt with their life for so long. It's the same way companies have severances, right? Yeah. Like I know I know companies aren't taking care of the habitual part of like, okay, hey, what you're doing in your day-to-day life, but let's be real for a sec. What's a severance package? You were making this much money before. Here's your package now to leave. Here's how we're transitioning you out. That's it, right? And it's like to not do that with athletes that you put through this mental grind and and practice daily and they're preaching all these things like habits and your people are creatures of habit and so on. Like, man, this is the thing. I know we started talking about safety, but like this transitional part of like helping players and athletes after careers There needs to be something in place and maybe the athlete who retires from the pro level is like, Hey, I just need to relax for a bit. It's like, great. Here's your relaxation protocol. Here's how to relax. It's not partying in the clubs all the time and drinking till your face is about to fall off and taking every drug on the planet that's not how you relax
1: or even to retire and then come back in right like a couple tom, tom brady. brady and who was it michael jordan yeah a bunch of people because that, they didn't you know.
0: i i'm sorry man but i don't care what anybody says like looking at those specific scenarios those were evident cases of individuals who didn't know what to do or how to transition out
1: hey i don't know how cristiano ronaldo or messi is going to retire they're their machines.
0: Yeah, but man, you look at them and it's like, I really truly believe that they have, that you can tell there's just a different way of planning about them. Maybe. You can tell. Yeah, maybe. Like you can tell with Ronaldo. So you can tell he did not, it was not in his cards right now to leave top European clubs. That was not in his plan. That was very evident. Did he adapt? As best as he possibly could. But I truly believe he was looking to play until he was way older. And I think that was part of his plan. Lionel Messi, I think, is the same way. I just saw an, an article put out on on Gianluigi Buffon, one of the oldest goalkeepers. Oh, yeah. Right? Who said, you can yeah, tell yeah. this man has a plan. He goes, okay, if, if I, I'm going to play again next year, if the project they present to me is something I'm interested in. And if it's not, I have my other plan of how I'm going to step away. Right. That's how this goes, man. It's like, but again, that's it's comparing across different mindsets and viewpoints on this stuff because you have the north american side which is naturally inclined more to grind 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 compared to the european side that evidently takes sports at the professional level a completely different route right you know what i mean and it's like that's that's the part where it's like Coming back to safety and just kind of wrapping up on the topic, like if you're going to do this the right way, you need if you want a high performing team, you need to cultivate a community of or, or a, a team of safety. And I'm not saying you let people get away with mistakes. What I'm saying is, though, you push and you promote creativity. And you understand and you help people realize they're going to be held accountable to their values, not just to their results, because that's a really big one. I have seen people, we have seen people who get results in an unethical way and then end up getting fired two days later. Yeah. Right? Epitome one-on-one of sales teams <laughs> a lot of the times, right? So that's like, that's, it's holding accountable to values. And it's making sure that when somebody makes a mistake, you go in, you have a one-on-one conversation with them, you help them not make that same mistake twice, and you understand that there's probably going to be 50 more mistakes they make in different areas. And you just, as a coach or leader, need to make sure they don't make the same mistake twice. And that comes from coaching.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I think just a little bit of advice for anyone that is currently going through this right now. As the athlete or coach? As the coach. As the coach. I would say if you're getting put, if there's pressure being applied from you from above and you're that buffer between the business side and the athletic side of of the organization, I would say if you stick to what's best for the athletes yes. that you're coaching, regardless of what happens, you you can walk away knowing that, yeah, I got it. Yeah. I got it done. Regardless. And I'm
0: sorry, but like think of it this way. What would you rather? Would you rather the people who are going to eventually play for you again when you get another job, because you will get another job, I'm telling you, unless you do something catastrophic, would you rather your players be talking poorly about you and how you decided to treat them and the way you were and spreading that? Or I don't want that. Well, even the right organization is going to find you.
1: Like if they want that culture yeah. in, in that team, they're going to find you. They're going to lock you down.
0: I know. And I know it sounds like, well, that's very simplistic in the way you're explaining it. But it's like, yeah, it actually is. It actually is, man. It's just it's
1: simple, simple, but it's hard in the moment when you're under the gun. Yeah, but it's like,
0: you know what, though? It's even like we say, like one of our philosophies on high performance is a high performer enjoys themselves and what comes up with enjoyment. It means that they know they're operating out of a purpose. It means they know that they are prepared for the situation and it means that they know they're focused on what they can control. They're not necessarily worried about results. And our, our variable is if our athlete is enjoying themselves the most going into a performance, With those three mechanisms in place, a purpose, certainty, and and cancelling out the noise, they usually do really well. 99% of the time. (laughs) Right? And it's like, that is the key to high performance. That's why we say slow things down all the time. Take the time. Take your stock. Take an understanding. Review what's going on in front of you. But don't just blindly go into it and be the one who pushes. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a, I feel like that's also a big identity that's around coaches right now too. It's like, I'm a winner. It's like, that's great. Do you know how to win? I look at those. See, like this is the only side I'll say about an Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte has been dubbed by a league and now dubbed himself a winner. Right. But if you look at his average lifespan in a club, it's two years. If they're lucky and then players can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, so you can be that kind of a coach who, if you look at him, he yells and screams from the sidelines and it's very entertaining and he's constantly going off. But the point is, is like that short term effect of fear only works for so long. And then all of a sudden it becomes this thing where it's like players will reject you. They will not want to, they will not want to work with you. They will complain to everybody around you. And that's when you start to feel like people are talking about you and you're probably right. It's reality. So, to Chris's point, if you are a coach going through this, fall on the sword of your players.
1: And I would also take a look at, you know, just have some some background knowledge of some coaches that have stuck around for a, a while yep. and are highly respected. You don't necessarily see them in the media, like going off and stuff like that. I would take a look at them because there's a lot of patterns that you can not replicate, but you can learn from.
0: You know what I've noticed? So this is the last thing I'll say. It's actually more about the intent and the mindset that the coach comes into the situation with more than it is about their tactic. Yeah, I've noticed that like I've noticed there's a lot of coaches, but like the ones that don't have like this thing where they have to prove their system all the time and whatever like those are the ones that crush it consistently consistently consistently. Where there's not that ego that they're the ones responsible for everything, where they know exactly what their role is as a coach, and that's to get the absolute best out of every person they work with. That's all it is. If you are a coach, that means you can get somebody from where they currently are to where they want to go. You can get the best out of them. I'd be looking at my team saying to myself, how can I get 11 all-stars on my team? I don't have to start with them, but how do I create them on my own team for that?
1: Yeah, And that's work, by the way, that is work to keep that same mindset going for that's the entire, entire season because things are going to come up. You're going to go through losing skids. You're going to, the GM's going to ask you, you know, what's going on, all this stuff,
0: right? Well, you know what, even to say on one side, and this was something that I really saw from us as a company, when we really started pumping out consistent high performances from our people, right? And helping them get there. That process was excruciating in a positive way to slow things down. Mm -hmm. Like literally, we have gotten it to a point now at Moliteum where it's like morning by morning, afternoon by afternoon, day by day. And we don't look any further than that. We deal with uh, what's on our plate right now. The only time we really look further is once a month, once a quarter, once a year. Right At the start of their programs we look for where they want to go, we put our heads down, we decide with the athlete, we get to work. We evaluate that then quarterly, we evaluate that monthly. But the process for us is literally morning by morning, afternoon by afternoon, day by day. And it's not it, it it's it's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah. But it's what's required and to be honest with you, it may it actually takes away a lot of anxiety. Right? Before when we were like, we got to get this player to so and so by next year. It's like there was a lot of anxiety on our plate. Now it's like, hold on, slow down. So-and-so didn't have a good game yesterday. Okay, what do we gotta do? What do we gotta change? How do we help them get out of that? Oh, look at that. And then it's like, we we erase, we erase the poor performance a day later and then we continue that. And it's like, now we found the system, just stick to it. It's a very simple process. Like, I don't know if you felt it, but I've personally felt it over the last couple months even where it's like, we really just slowed things down. And it's been a fantastic result because of it and it's like they're even us like it's not we we've been doing this for a while but i've noticed there's times that we slither in and out of it right which is normal like you said there's going to be losing skids sometimes you just got to brunt the storm right and it's like if you can if you can do that you're going to be fine more than fine so anyways safe cultures win you got to promote them. Fear is a very short-lived way to motivate things. Impressing or proving people wrong is a very short way to to motivate somebody. Keep that safety culture. Start with some values. Make sure you're bringing that consistently. And if you are an owner at the top, understand the best way to promote your organization is to actually put the best developmental pieces in place for your people and actually stick to it. Work it. Market that. You're going to get a lot of kids. I'm telling you. If you're owning a a youth organization, you are going to get a lot of kids out of that because of it. So... If you want to work with us one-on-one, we got links below. If you want to work with us in one of our programs, we got links below for that. And if you need any kind of support, you want to reach out, just get us, support at and we'll answer it. But anyways, till then, stay resilient.